Welcome to Humane Voices, the official podcast of the Humane Society of the United States. Carrie and Austin here for another episode. Carrie, how are you holding up? I mean, all things considered, I'm okay. I haven't gone completely stir crazy yet. I'm trying to get outside every day a little bit and have a little bit of sunshine and um, the urge to avoid and run screaming when I see another human being half a mile away. Uh, I'm trying to tamp that down. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad you've survived the, the grocery store runs. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, same here. Just trying to, to keep sane and, and keep things steady. Um, trying not to listen to the news as much as I can. But yes. um, yeah. <laughs> uh, that is a mental health practice. Please. Yeah, that's what we need to uh, stay focused here. But um, yeah, I wanted to uh, bring in our guest for today, uh, Lisa Watney. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. She is the senior strategist from our captive wildlife team at the Humane Society of the United States. Lisa, uh, we're so glad you're here. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. Thank you. Thanks for covering this issue. Yeah. And Lisa, where are you based? Remind me. Seattle, Washington. Ah, excellent. Oh, wow. Yeah, so uh. I'm in that spot too. Yep. How are you doing? Where it all began. Yeah, really? <laughs> um, fine. You know, I, because I work from home normally, my life hasn't changed a whole lot. Yeah. Um, and so I work and I recently adopted a new dog. So she gets me oh, out every day pretty. for a walk. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so we're, we're getting through. <laughs> it is a little well, different, like when you're being forced to work from home than when you get to work from home, I'm feeling. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure it's a big, big adjustment for others who aren't used to it. Yeah. Well, in all of this new adjustment, I think the one thing that's either remained constant or has definitely increased is uh, people's uh, interest in Netflix watching. Uh, that's kind of bringing us. That's why we're so, so glad that you're here. Um, so the, the documentary series, Tiger King, Tiger King, Tiger King, Tiger King is everywhere right now. It's all on the headlines, all everybody that's talking about, memeing about. Um, so that's, I mean, some of the topic of conversation, we wanted to break down some of, some of what we've seen. Have you, have you seen it, Lisa and Carrie? <clears throat> so I've seen one episode. I honestly was kind of trying to avoid it a bit, um, because <laughs> I, I was just sort of a little bit like, oh no, is there going to be a lot of animal suffering in this? And I just, you know, it's, it's hard right now because I feel like there's just so much um, awful stuff in the news that I kind of was like, I don't want to see more awful stuff. Um, I was worried that it would be a little bit exploitative, um, not only of the animals, but of the people involved. And having watched an episode now, I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah. I was right to be concerned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it, and the thing is, is we talked about it a little bit earlier, very character driven, very sensationalized, and it doesn't spend a lot of time talking about animal welfare and the trade issue, illegal wildlife trade issues, and, and Joe Exotic. I mean, those are things that the Humane Society of the United States routinely covers. And so that's why, I mean, we're kind of here today to get some contextual information, Lisa. So one of the main characters on the series, Joe Exotic, who ran GW, what is it, Greater Winwood Exotics, we did an investigation on him a few years ago, correct? What, what can you tell us mm -hmm. about that investigation? Quite a few years ago, because Joe has been on the radar of the animal protection world for decades now. So uh, we did an investigation, an undercover investigation in 2011 um, at his facility. 
and confirmed what we pretty much already knew that this guy bred, did rampant breeding of tigers and other big cats, um, pulled the cubs from their mothers almost immediately after birth to hand raise them and to use them uh, for public handling opportunities. Uh, the public would pay in order to hold and pet and take selfies with tiger cubs. And as you can imagine, these babies are, once they hit three to four months of age, they're not too easy to handle anymore. Even until then, they have to be really handled very roughly in order to control them. But about four months of age, that's it. And they're, they're old news and more bred to take their place. So it's a, a cycle of breeding and cruelty that has led to where we are today in the US, which is a very large surplus of captive tigers in this country. When I was when I was watching it last night, I was just really struck. Like, I honestly, I have to admit that I've never been much of a reality TV person to start with. I'm always a little bit like, oh no, it's another one. Um, but in in this case, it's like you know, with with other reality TV shows that are kind of driven by people's eccentricities, and you're kind of you're kind of like it's it's a little bit of a rubbernecking thing where you're kind of like sitting back and watching. Oh my God, people live like this whether it's Kardashians or something else and like the real housewives or whatever. And you're kind of like, this is, this is just such an interesting and foreign way of living. And so I can see the appeal, even though it's never really like been my thing. Um, but watching it last night, I was just like, well, this is the same sort of weirdo character principle, but it's, it's overlying in this case, this massive suffering that it never really fully gets into or doesn't treat right. in a way that felt appropriate. No. It was a. Lisa, it was have you a, watched it? I um, unlike you, I only watched the first episode. I, um, for a number of reasons, I, I, I know it, or I feel I know what, yeah. um, what it's it. about, yeah. uh, and all not only Joe, all these other crazy characters, but also, um, I had by the time I watched that first episode, I had already heard that. Netflix had, you know, missed this incredible opportunity to really tell the story of the real victims, um, mm -hmm. the, the tigers and the other big cats. And I just, I didn't feel the need to, to watch the rest of it. Well, one of the things that all that I was thinking throughout the show is right what you were saying. So the show says, yeah, they're, they're these big cash cows at, and when they're, when they're cubs mm -hmm. and you know, you can make upwards of $100,000, you know, with them, with all the photo opportunities and everything that they were saying on the show. Once they phase out after you were saying like three, four months, what happened? I mean, they've become a liability, I guess, at that point. Uh, what happens to, to the Cubs normally? Or, or did you find anything in your investigations that, that obviously you can't track every single one? But well, we can't track every single one, but the bigger point is that nobody is tracking them. There's no agency in the country that is tracking tigers from beginning to end. So the information we have was gleaned through the investigation. And also we, as we are able to collect um, whatever paperwork we can, which is very scarce and put it all together, we know that these cubs are, there are a number of options. Some of them stay at these roadside zoos that breed them um, and are just kind of stored away in tiny cages. Some are used for, to breed more cubs. Others are passed off to other roadside zoos. Um, 
some are killed. We know from the investigation at Joe's place that he killed tigers um, on his property for various reasons and including running out of space to, to keep them. Because let's face it, you make a lot of money off these cubs for a very short period of time, but then you've got tigers who ideally are going to live many, many, many more years and they're expensive. So they're not inclined to keep them. They wanna get rid of them any way they can. And, um, but ultimately the end is not good for any of these animals, no matter where they end up. What does it do to the sort of psychology? I mean, I know that it's, it's a little tricky to talk about psychology with an animal, but the sort of behaviors of a cub that is pulled away from its mother at such an, a young age and then raised by a human, like how does it impact them? It's, it's, a, it's a horrible thing to pull a baby, any baby from the mom. It's not only detrimental to the cub, but incredibly stressful and traumatic for the mom. And um, so not only do the babies not get the nutrition that they need from their mom or the socialization that they need, but it's important to know that from the, the moment they're taken away from their moms, their whole life revolves around photo ops. So their sleep is frequently interrupted. They uh, sometimes food is withheld so that they're eager to have the bottle during the photo ops. They are physically manhandled, slapped, kicked, punched, dragged. These are babies. Babies want to sleep. They want to eat. They want to play. And none of this is, uh, they're not able to do any of this. And they rebel to the extent that they can very often and have to be physically um, uh, manhandled in order to get them to um, sit still for photo ops. Wow. So uh, I know that in, in certain um, facilities with, with elephants, that there's been use of things like bull hooks. Like, is there an equivalent in the world of kind of handling big cats? I mean, are they, do they, pe people use tools to handle them or is it just sort of done well, by hand or? In the, um, in the, footage we got from the undercover investigation at Joe's place, he used a riding crop. And so we have uh, clips in our footage of him slapping and hitting it at them. Um, most of the places, we've done undercover investigations at two other places, Tiger Safari in Tuttle, Oklahoma, and Natural Bridge Zoo in Virginia, both of which did tiger cub photo ops. And it was just a lot of slapping kicking, punching, dragging, um, in order to try to control these cubs. One of the big themes and, and questions that I had for you, Lisa, after coming out of the show is one of, uh, you know, a few of the, the breeders had said that, um, you know, what, what is, you know, these tigers, they're an endangered species. What's the best thing that you can do for an endangered species? Make more of them. My question for you is, is tiger breeding conservation? Um, tiger breeding at these roadside zoos and by these guys featured in Tiger King, by no stretch of the imagination, can be considered conservation. Okay. These guys are breeding tigers that are mixed subspecies. Um, to get the white tigers, um, they have to inbreed the tigers extensively. And many of those cubs are born with congenital defects and are... Um, probably killed at birth. And in fact, we have some video footage from uh, Antle, 
Doc Antle's place in South Carolina, where he says that he euthanizes the cross-eyed cubs. Um, and then they also breed um, genet um, animals that don't even exist in the wild. They crossbreed lions and tigers um, to make ligers or tigers or tigons. These guys are breeding to make money and for no other reason. No, no animal they breed will ever contribute to serious conservation efforts in any way. Well, because those tigers couldn't even be taken, taken to accredited institutions after, after the, the crossbreeding that's being no. done anyway, right? No, no, oh. no. I think that one of the things that was bothering me when I watched the first episode last night is I felt like right off the bat, um, you know, and it's always interesting to see the kind of standpoint or documentary, and I'm going to put that in quotes, um, <laughs> filmmaker will try to sort of take with its with a subject because obviously, you know, even though just as with the news, just as with multiple other sort of things that are nonfiction, a lot of the times you're you're presenting the story through a particular lens. And one of the things that I, th I think bothered me right off the bat last night is it, it seemed to me, um, there's, ar there's already the attempt very early in the show to kind of suggest that um, the work of, of sanctuaries and rescues is very similar to what Joe Exotic and people like Doc Antle are doing right. in their own facilities. And mm -hmm. there's this kind of, there's a, there's a sort of situation where they show, you know, kind of a whole bunch of people coming into big cat rescue and, and sort of, uh, highlighting the sort of fundraising element of that and kind of like making this parallel between, oh yeah, well, they're both, both these groups are raising money. So, you know, what's the difference is kind of the underlying message that I got out of it. And I was just like, yeah, no, I'm done with this. <laughs> um, so, you know, maybe, maybe you could talk a little bit, Lisa, about, you know, like the reality in terms of what the differences between places like Big Cat Rescue and these roadside zoos are. Yeah, that was um, perhaps one of the most distressing things about this series because you can't, you, you cannot compare legitimate sanctuaries like Big Cat Rescue with Joe Exotics or any of these other places. Um, Big Cat Rescue is accredited by uh, an association called the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries, which has um, very high standards for animal care in order to, to get accreditation. And some of the most important things are that they do not breed animals, they do not allow public contact with animals, and they are nonprofit. Um, but those are just three. And none of the other characters featured in Tiger King can meet any of those, let alone all three. And Big Cat Rescue does. Big Cat Rescue um, is taking in animals, many of which are probably originated at Joe Exotic or Doc Antle's place um, or other breeders and um, areas of the pet trade and giving them lifetime care. They're not producing animals who are going to need um, sanctuary. There's no comparison and that was really a travesty that the series did not make that clear. 
Yeah. yeah, I think there's there's such a thing, and I think the animal welfare world that part of the reason that we do what we do, and other and animal shelters do what they do, and sanctuaries do what they do, is the idea is that eventually we put we put ourselves out of business. Exactly. And you don't have to hear Joe Exotic saying that. No, <laughs> no. And there's nothing you know Big Cat Rescue would like more than to never get another call about an, a, a wild cat in in need. And but we're nowhere near that point yet. Well, and I think a lot of these these pseudo sanctuaries or these these um, unaccredited sanctuaries like mm -hmm. that we're seeing these roadside zoos are um, they're taking advantage of the fact that folks yeah. want to be with these animals. They want to touch them. They want to mm -hmm. take photos with them and they don't understand exactly what you're talking about, Lisa. Mm -hmm. What what makes the difference between them? what makes a good sanctuary? So uh, for anyone listening, I mean, how can how can somebody going to something like this for the first time even tell the difference or tell if the tigers are well cared for? Are there flags? Oh, yeah. The biggest flag is if they're allowing people to handle animals, to pet, to play with, to pose with animals, not only tiger cubs, um, you know, they they do this with other species too, sloths and um, kangaroos and all kinds of things. No legitimate sanctuary does that. It's that anytime that's going on, it is not in the best interest of the animals. Okay. That's the number one thing. If you see that, turn around and, and walk away. And I and would say- for water animals too, right? Like no pardon me? with the dolphin business. Oh, right? yeah. That goes for water animals. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or riding elephants or, yeah. you know, any, any kind of activity like that, that is, the animal is not enjoying that. <laughs> the animal, that is not uh, enrichment for the animal, as a lot of them will, will also tell you. Um, and anyone that's breeding animals, no, that's not a, um, that's not a legitimate place. Um, unless they're a zoo accredited by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, which have very uh, strict and specific breeding programs for endangered animals. So that's the, those are the biggest red flags. Um, if you can if you can touch or hold or pet them, uh, no, something's something's not right. Do we have a sense of how many places like this are, still exist in the country? There are unfortunately a, a good many. Um, they, but it's it shifts a lot. There are a few of them that are pretty consistently offer cub petting. But what also frequently happens is somebody like Doc Antle will uh, send a tiger cub to some podunk roadside zoo in Illinois. And they'll use that cub for a few weeks for um, handling. Either send it back to Doc or put it in a cage on their place, but they, that's all they won't do it again maybe ever or maybe for a few years so it's it's always shifting and uh it's it's a hard thing to keep track of well it seems like there is a big piece of legislation that uh, we they hinted at kind of in the beginning of this series that is mm -hmm. trying to help address some of these issues uh the name of that is the big cat public safety act yes um so what is this bill and how could it help protect both the animals and actually the, the public? It's the Big Cat Public Safety Act is a federal bill that will do two things. It will put an end to allowing people to keep 
big cats, uh, not tigers, lions, leopards, um, as pets. So that's, that's great. No more your neighbor has a tiger in his, his backyard. But the biggest piece, and to us the most significant piece, is it will put an end to public handling of big cats. That's huge because if the public handling is outlawed, that is going to cut places like GW Exotics and Doc Antle off at the knees. They'll still be able to have tigers and exhibit them. The bill's not going to stop that. But if they can't make money off the cubs, the rampant breeding is going to stop. Mm. And that is what is so key to this. The breeding will stop, hopefully through the B Big Cat Public Safety Act. But in the meantime, the breeding can also stop if the public stops patronizing these places. So it sounds so, like the cops are the real big moneymaker at these places. Mm. They're huge. Yeah. They're huge. Yeah. People are paying hundreds of dollars in some places for these, to, to, to do these things, to sit down and have cubs. You know, we had, when our undercover investigation took place at the um, at, uh, Tiger Safari in Oklahoma, our investigator got to go to Doc Antle's place for a behind the scenes tour. And um, part of it was sitting down with cubs who came and interacted with people. Uh, cubs were, had ringworm all over them, most of them. Um, nice. It's, but these people had paid hundreds of dollars to do this. Hundreds of dollars to get ringworm. That's awesome. What a deal. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, we'll throw that in free of charge. <laughs> yeah. Some of what you're describing about the way they take the cubs away from the moms so early, like, you know, I always tend to see these overlaps in different areas where we work, and it reminds me so much of what's done at puppy mills. Yes. Take the animals yeah. away too young, train them badly. It's like, it's mm -hmm. the whole thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it also um, makes it so that they can uh, breed the mother again sooner. Oh, you know, God. more quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And they hinted it again, kind of, kind of throughout the series, but they trying to cut costs on, on so much, I mean, just to feed the amount of, of lions that they have in, mm -hmm. in, in these roadside zoos is exorbitant. And yes. so they're, they're just trying to cut corners any way they can. I mean, that's, it's, yeah, it, it, start, it started to reveal an ugly picture, but I just don't think that, not at all by any means, did it cover or go in depth about those no. types of things. Yeah. One of the things we found at, the, at our investigation at Joe's place is he, you know, frequently didn't provide veterinary care to animals who really needed it. Um, and also often did, his, did veterinary procedures himself. You know, oh my he'd, gosh. He'd put videos online of him uh, stitching up a, 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 oh, an incision that had opened in animals. I mean, it was, the man was beyond the worst you could imagine, the things that, that went on in this place. So we shouldn't be sympathetic as, as the series kind of lends itself to. Uh, no, uh, there is, this is a guy, that, Joe is not someone who, had a momentary lapse of judgment and did something awful or stupid. 
for decades, he has caused extreme suffering, intentional harm to hundreds of animals. There's nothing, no reason to be sympathetic to this guy. Yeah, I was really struck when I was watching it, you know, there are, there are his backstory and the way that he was treated as a child that I think would make him kind of a sympathetic figure. But much as, you know, you see these sort of patterns of abuse pay, play out with people, uh, unfortunately, like people who have gone through things like this frequently become abusers in their own way. And it was kind mm -hmm. of the similar psychology that I was thinking, wow, there's, this guy's probably been through some stuff in his past, but it doesn't make what he is doing to these animals <laughs> in any way excusable. Right. Yeah. And there are plenty of people who go through some really horrible things in their lives and, and go the other way and become yeah, exactly. really kind people. Yeah. So, um, yeah, can't, can't have sympathy for him. Not at all. Mm -hmm. So, uh, one of the kind of the questions too, I know that we hinted at it a little bit, Lisa is, um, uh, kind of red flags for the public, general public that goes into um, these roadside zoos and sees these animals. Is there anything else that the public could be doing um, to either spread awareness, create action, uh, or come away um, forwarding the animal welfare uh, versus forwarding the pockets of a lot of these uh, pseudo zookeepers? Yeah, the most important thing is to um, go to our website and take action to contact your US senators and Congress people and asking them to support the Big Cat Public Safety Act. But separately, um, contact the state director for whatever state you live in because um, all over the country, we are working to strengthen state laws because even the states that have some laws that um, relate to this issue, they all could be stronger. And we, we, um, we always want to continue to um, buffer them up. And we need people's help to do that. So get a hold of your uh, HSUS state directors, contact them and see what they're working on and how you can help. Yeah, and at the very least, don't make it worse by going to one of these places. Exactly. Don't give any money. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, Lisa, thank you so much. Lisa Watney, senior strategist from our captive wildlife team at the Humane Society of the United States. Um, it was a pleasure to chat with you and get you. a little bit of a, of a bigger picture, uh, some more context behind um, the little bit that the series scratched at the surface of. So, Lisa, scratched. thank you so much. Nice, Austin. I see what you did there. <laughs> Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, great. Um, well, that's all we have for today's show. Be sure to follow HSUS, the HSUS and HSI on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the website humanesociety.org for the latest info. You can also message podcast at humanesociety.org and send us your reactions, questions you have, and topics that you want to hear for our next episode. See you next time on Humane Voices. Stay safe, everybody.